After decades of using personality tools for assessment for recruitment, succession, development, and coaching, in this podcast, we are debating the pros and cons of a personality versus strengths approach to assessment. We look at the various personality questionnaires developed since the work of Isaac and Jung, and the role personality has played in helping us understand individual differences. We then look at the move away from personality towards strengths and the benefit of taking a strengths versus personality approach. Welcome to the latest podcast of the Chief Psychology Officer with Dr. Amanda Potter, Chartered Psychologist and CEO of Zircon. Hello, Amanda. Thank you, Angela. Thank you so much for being the host today. And I'm very excited about talking about personality. I did my PhD on personality theory 20 or so years ago, and it's something that I'm particularly interested in. And as you know, I also love strengths. So talking about personality and strengths is a joy for me. As a non-psychologist, I am really fascinated about this topic because I think I will learn a lot over this episode. And I'm always learning. So even though I did my PhD in personality theory 20 or so years ago and have spent my career focusing on personality theory, I'm still learning all the time. What's so fantastic about this world is that there are new models, new theories and new products coming out all the time that is assessing personality. But actually, it goes back thousands of years, the assessment of personality, all the way to Hippocrates. And so the very first known personality model was in the 5th century BC and was based on four different temperaments. And it related to bodily fluids, which seems strange, but it goes to show that our interest in why there are differences in characteristics of different people has been something that people have been interested in for centuries But it wasn't until the late 19th century that a psychologist, Wilhelm Wundt, in 1879, started to really articulate the difference between the human body and the mind and personality. And it was from that research that the real in-depth look at personal differences started to really appear. So that's interesting. For centuries, we connected the physical with the mental and then separated that in the 19th century. So when did personality testing come about? It's so interesting because firstly, I have a real problem with the word testing and I'm going to be talking about that a bit later. But to answer the question, personality testing really came about after 1917. And it started with the Wordsworth personal data sheet. And that was from World War One. And they used it and developed it to identify soldiers who were prone to nervous breakdowns during enemy bombardment. And this personal data sheet was the first ever personality test. And the reason why I have quite a big and strong reaction to the word test is that the questionnaires that are developed today and used today are most definitely not tests because there's no right or wrong answer to a personality questionnaire. You can't have the wrong personality. However, if you think about the original ever personality questionnaire, because they were assessing whether someone was prone to or not prone to a nervous breakdown, there is, of course, a right or a wrong answer in that situation because they don't want people to break down. So personality theory has changed fundamentally from that very first assessment. Oh, wow. That's really interesting that World War I was the catalyst for personality assessment, let's call it. Speaking of personality theories, though, what are the more notable ones that come to mind? 
I would probably start with Jung because most people have heard of the MBTI or Myers-Briggs and many people now are using Insights, which is another Jungian type product. So Carl Jung in 1913, who was a friend of Freud, he started to look at ways they could categorize mental functioning. And that's really where the concept behind the MBTI was born. And they categorized mental functioning in terms of senses and intuition and thinking and feeling. And they have four dimensions in the union model of personality. And the questionnaire that has been developed as a result assesses us on those four dimensions. So Angela, it would assess you in terms of your extroversion, introversion, whether you have your sensing or you have intuition. So sensing is whether you take information literally through the five senses or whether you're intuitive and you build connections, whether you're thinking or feeling. So do you step out of the situation, your objective, or do you step into the situation and think about personal values and how people feel? And finally, are you judging and perceiving? So are you someone who is very planned and forward thinking, which is judging and perceiving is very much enjoying the last minute rush and being in the moment? And so these four dimensions that were articulated back by Jung in 1913 are still the foundation of some really very well-established and fantastic products like MBTI and Insights and others. So I know spending lots of time with psychologists that in the world of questionnaires, we have this differentiation between state versus trait. I'm assuming that these personality-based questionnaires are trait-based How does that relate to the trait models of personalities that you've talked about in the past? Jung is not a trait model. Actually, it's a type model. So we have two different types of personality. It's trait and type. One looks at the individual in terms of individual differences, and the other looks at it in terms of the unique individual. And trait is all about individual differences. So trait personality actually originated by a different set of theorists like Raymond Cattell, Heinz Eisenk, and then moving on to in the later years by Costa and McRae. Raymond Cattell in 1957, he really focused on gathering scientific data and conducted objective observation in order to understand the plethora of personality types that could exist. So rather than having four broad dimensions that everybody fall into in some way, like extroversion, introversion, he identified 16 different traits. And each of those traits, we would either have a preference for or we would not have a preference for. So can you give us an example of some of the traits that Cattell identified? In 1957, Cattell identified, as I say, 16 factors or dimensions of personality that I would call traits. And some of them could include emotional stability, dominance, perfectionism, self-reliance, openness to change, apprehension, and others. What are some other personality models that come to mind? Isenck is one that many of the psychologists will clearly know, but even I think people who are just interested in personality theory and psychology might have also heard of. 
1967, Hans Eisenk disagreed, I suppose, with Cattell and said actually he thought that there were a fewer number of larger factors that really articulate what personality theory is all about. So I suppose in some way he agreed with Jung in that he was saying there's not as many as 16, there's a much fewer number. But actually he had originally three factors of personality, which were extroversion, neuroticism and psychoticism. It was then developed and taken even further by Costa and McRae in 1992, and they built something called the Big Five model of personality, which is pretty much the accepted basis of personality now. And those five areas are neuroticism, extroversion, openness to experience, agreeableness and conscientiousness. And so we're having a very technical conversation today, Angela, about personality, but it is interesting how the story has developed over the decade and how personality theory either went down a trait approach or a type approach. But actually, where we got to is that many of the authors and researchers over those decades really started to agree that the trait and type approaches to personality are quite different from one another, that the big five that I mentioned from Costa and McRae is really the foundation of all trait models of personality. And since then, there's been some really interesting research with all of the models like 16PF, OPQ, and even my PhD was looking at it. All of the trait models of personality, including WAVE and others, can be factored down to a big five model. Well, even as a non-psychologist, even though I maybe wouldn't have known the term big five before meeting you, I had definitely heard of the big five. When you list them out, they're familiar to me. You hear about it a lot in clinical psychology as well, don't you? Um, When someone is assessing a person for certain neuroses or whatever. Indeed. And, And in fact, we think about the dark triad as well when we're talking about that. So we look at narcissistic, psychopathic and sociopathic personalities, but we're going off track on that one, I think, Angela. (laughs) That's a whole nother (laughs) podcast episode. It is, it is. You've talked a lot about type and trait, and I am not sure I understand the difference quite yet. So can you help me understand that difference, please? So just to remind us then, type-based methods are tools that use a fewer number of scales and they tend to combine patterns or traits together into a classification. They're almost an expression of that behavior and products that classify these behaviors into these groups and then you fall onto that dimension in some area or into a color if you think about insights and color me. And so the products that really assess the type-based approach to personality are MBTI, Insights, and Color Me. But the really important thing about type-based tools is that they should never be used for recruitment and never used for assessment for succession or assessment for restructure. And why is that? Well, the big thing is that what it suggests is that everyone is going to fall within certain boxes. So MBTI, for example, you find out, are you an ENTJ or an ENFP or because of the letters that it denotes. And actually work drives us towards being in an ENTJ direction, which is extroverted, intuitive thinking and judging type of activity, because that's what the work requires from us. and. What it's suggesting is that all of us fall into one of these 16 boxes beautifully because it's a four by four matrix. 
But actually, life's not that simple. In fact, the trait-based approach, which is about having a number of different scales. So if we think about the OPQ or the 16PF or WAVE or NEO, all of them have a number of different scales. And you and I might have a variety of scores across those different scales. And that's why each of us are individually different. So trait-based approach is based on individual differences and assumes that everybody is completely different from one another, but we can all be measured on all these different scales. The issue with using type is that you might say we want to hire only ENTJs and ENTPs into our business and you've got to fall into the right box. But with trait, what you're seeing is you're seeing the pattern of scores across each of the different scales and building a story or a picture of what that person might be like and their preferences But you wouldn't be judging whether that person is the right or the wrong person for you on the basis of that personality. What you'd be doing is just using it to understand that person in greater detail. So in summary, type, you should never use those tools for assessment for recruitment, whereas trait, you can, albeit you should never profile match. So a type is a classification of a number of traits, a sort of grouping. Can you give me an example of this? So extroversion is a classification. So the traits under extroversion could be sociability, talkativeness, assertiveness, excitability. They're the traits that you would assess in a trait-based tool. And so the extroversion classification gives you a summary, a grouping of each of those things. But actually, if you were to use a tool for recruitment, you'd need to understand all of the elements within. I read that some tests have low reliability. For example, there was a study that showed that people retaking MBTI five weeks later would get different results. Gosh, that's contentious, isn't it? So all of the products that are BPS verified, they should all have test retest reliability, which is what you're talking about, which means an individual's personality doesn't rapidly change over a short or long period of time. And actually, the test retest level should be more like six to nine months, not over just five weeks. And so if there's low test retest reliability, it suggests that the tool isn't stable or isn't reliable because the person isn't consistently being measured over that time. And of course, the MBTI is BPS verified. So that's quite a surprising statistic, actually. And my belief is that traits and personality are much more enduring and stable, according to all of the researchers over the last hundred years, than strengths. Actually, strengths are much more of a state than a trait. And our strengths change depending on the environment that we're in, because we enjoy and gravitate towards different activities, depending on who we spend time with, the work that we do, the sociable activities that we participate in outside of work. So I actually think our traits and personality are much more enduring than our strengths. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was a low level of test retest reliability for a strengths questionnaire, but I am surprised when there's a low test retest reliability on a personality questionnaire. I suppose it depends on the study as well. 
it does it does and I think I mean the reality is with statistics for every fantastic study showing a tool is brilliant there's always going to be one which isn't quite so good because data can flummox me mm-hmm. <laughs> quite frankly even building our own products and we've got great test retest on our strengths questionnaire which is brilliant and we've got now really good validity data and we've been improving it all the time but it's been a journey <laughs> it's been a really long journey Is every model of personality a a big five model? Well, my PhD was looking at exactly this. And many psychologists would argue that trait models are pretty much all big five. And what that means is if you were to look at the data and factor analyze each of the scales or each of the items, they would pretty much fall into the big five. Or if you were to correlate a big five model like the NEO model of personality, With another personality model, then you're going to find that there are significant positive correlations between those two. And my PhD was doing that with a measure of well-being and also looking at the type A model of personality, which looks at coronary heart disease prone personality model. And both of those factor analyzed and correlated in with the big five as assessed by the NEO. Personality assessment is really popular. I think something like 80 million people complete a personality test every year. I know, it's crazy. And that's why I think it's so important to talk about it because so many people have completed personality questionnaires for new positions for a job to get promotions. And sadly, I don't think they're always used very well. And the point I made earlier is that about the word test, that's the real issue with personality is that if we call it a test, we are therefore assuming there is a right or wrong answer. If we start thinking there's a right or wrong answer, then we're likely to start profile matching, which is we're looking for certain personalities within an organization in order for that organization to be successful. And that will undermine cognitive diversity. I think it's important for the layperson who isn't a psychologist to understand the origins of personality, to understand it's not testing, to understand that there are different types and some tools are absolutely not suitable for recruitment. Some are just for development like MBTI and also to make sure that people understand how the output of those questionnaires should be used, which is all about reflection and increasing self-awareness and to enable an assessor, if you're using a trait-based approach, to ask really insightful questions and to gather information. And the reason I'm saying this and why I think it's such an important message is because the industry of personality is a $2.3 billion industry and is expected to get to a $6.5 billion industry by 2027. Wow. And 80% of organizations use personality assessment for recruitment. Let's just hope they're using the right products when they're doing that and that they're not profile matching. There is a real risk around the misuse of personality. And it starts with the word test for me, and it ends with profile matching. That's a red flag for me. I think it's great to have an episode just to challenge the thinking on this, because we know that a lot of these very well-established organizations can be quite traditional in their views. What's amazing is that 10 years ago, 73% of Fortune and FTSE 100 organizations were using strengths-based approaches for assessment. 
But now it's reported that 90% of those organizations use strengths-based assessments for assessment for recruitment. So actually strengths have overtaken personality, which is what I expected to see happen and actually is happening. So more organizations are now using strengths-based approach assessments for recruitment globally than they are using personality for assessment. But your point, Angelou, is that some organizations get very embedded with product because they get embedded with their test publisher, with their consulting partner. They get a lot of people trained on those tools and they're unable to shift away or feel like they're unable to shift away from their very well-established personality products. But actually, I think there's a real place for strengths and there's a place for personality in organizations. Well, that's interesting. Those statistics almost contradict what we just said about 80% of companies using personality assessment for recruitment. And now we're saying that up to 90% are reporting using strengths. I know. I wonder, from experience, I find that many of our clients segment their assessment for recruitment strategies. And so they will use different tools at different levels within the organization, for example. I know working with a major global health tech organization that we've been partners with for a number of years, for their most senior populations, if we did use personality, we used to use NEO in combination with HDS. And for the more junior populations, we would use WAVE. And then when I worked with a major national bank, it used to be NEO and HDS for more senior populations, and it was OPQ for the lower level employees across the organization. So I do notice that organizations have different tools for different groups. They segment the products. And another client uses strengths for some populations and personality for others. And it depends on who the leader is, who's running those programs and who've got the relationships, because that makes a big difference, I think, on what products they use. But the issue with that is that personality and strengths are fundamentally different. Yes, they both assess how someone sees themselves. But actually, how the tools gather information and how that information should be used and the type of insight that they bring for that person is fundamentally different. And there's another big message here is the line of sight. So if an organization has some cultural aspirations, it has a competency model or a capability model, we should be mapping back those strengths or those traits to that model so we understand the linkages between the tools that we're using and the aspirations of that organization. So we understand some of the messages we're giving to that employee. So if that employee is interested and energized by certain things and we look at the aspirations of the organization, we can reflect back what does that mean for them? What do they get excited about according to the strengths questionnaire? And what's the implication for them for the organization and what the organization is trying to achieve? So it's not just a strengths questionnaire in isolation. It's the so what is really important when we're using these products that we don't just use them in isolation without thinking about the implications for the organization or the team. That's it. It's about cultivating the story behind that and seeing how all those things fit together, connecting those dots. So with personality questionnaires being so popular and so well established over the last century, I'm just wondering about cultural aspects. So you're right, they are widespread. For example, Hogan is used in over 100 countries now and is in 47 languages. I mean, that's amazing. That's my aspiration, by the way, Angela, (laughs) for strengths and for decision. Wouldn't that be great? 
And there are over two and a half thousand personality questionnaires on the market with new ones appearing every year. I mean, we still go back to the major ones that I've been mentioning, but there are new ones coming out. But the issue with many of the assessments for validity of these tools is that the research that's done is based on white, educated, industrialized, rich and democratic societies. It's known as weird. So white, educated, industrialized, rich and demographic. Ironically, personality theory and strengths-based approach should help us with cognitive diversity, but we're actually undermining it by the very data that we're collecting in personality-based assessments. So that's why in our organization, we're trying to gather really very diverse data for the validation of our tools. It's ironic because everyone who's excluded by Western psychological research is actually literally excluded from the model. I mean, our concept of cognitive diversity that, you know, we want spiky people, which is our very much our approach to strengths is absolutely fundamental because we want to understand the variety, the extreme differences between people in order to get that clear understanding of the extremes. And I guess since we're comparing personality versus strengths, do we have any information on how widely strengths assessments are used? So we've already said that now in those large organizations that 90% of Fortune and FTSE organizations are using a strengths-based approach. It's less widely than personality because it's still a growing area. I mean, our B-Talent Strengths questionnaire is being used around the world. Our limitation that is that ours is only in English at the moment. But we are currently going for the BPS verification. We're very close. We're in the final stages of our validation process and writing up our technical manual. Thank you to my most fabulous colleague, Jess. And we hope in the next coming months that we will be submitting. And then when we pass, we'll start translating into the critical languages for our client. So to answer your question, not as much as personality. So I know you hate calling personality questionnaires tests. Yep, hate is a strong word, but I very, very much (laughs) dislike it. I wonder if you have an example of the misuse that can occur when you think about an assessment like that as a test. There was a UK retailer, an outdoor garden retailer in the UK who used OPQ for recruitment. And it was in the press, actually. So it was written up in the newspapers. You can find it. It's about 20 years ago. And they used the OPQ, which is a reliable, robust and valid method of personality assessment. And they used it for a profile matching approach. So there was a candidate who was recruited And he was brought into the organization. He'd worked for two days and then the organization received the OPQ results and they didn't match the profile that they wanted. So two days after this person has started their job, they were told that they didn't have a position and that their contract was terminated and that they were no longer working there because their personality questionnaire did not match the profile. And so they challenged this organization and this individual won. Yeah, it's fundamentally wrong. I suppose that applies to strengths too, in terms of using strengths for recruitment. Completely. So you should never profile match with strengths either, but for a different reason. It isn't because we're trying to find a perfect fit of strengths or that we're trying to find the best certain strengths within an organization. Actually, strengths are great for helping us understand the areas people really enjoy and where they gravitate towards 
And so it helps us to understand the areas that they are likely to be excellent and really differentiate the brand that they will have in the organization. And because we want cognitive diversity, we want everybody to be different. So we should never profile match fundamentally for personality or for strengths. I guess it's just a a recognition that everyone is very different. So exactly like this matrix that you were talking about with MBTI, you can't just fit nicely into a box as a human being. And I don't think anyone really likes being put into a box. And I don't particularly enjoy the horoscopes aspect either because of the Barnum effect where we start to just identify with certain elements that we want to see that are positive and then we reject the things that we don't like or we don't want. But actually, I think trait-based approaches and strengths-based approaches are much better because they challenge our thinking and just help us to increase our level of self-awareness and understand how we're seen by others. So how did the strengths approach evolve? So it was much later than personality. What's fascinating is whilst personality theory grew out of World War One, strengths grew out of the US civil rights movement in the 1960s and 1970s. And strengths originally were designed as an alternative to the kind of deficit-based model where you're looking at the gaps and looking at what needs to be developed. And it was recognized that actually we should focus on the things that people enjoy and therefore influence people's lives in a positive way rather than focusing on the negatives and the weaknesses and trying to fix people. You said it was intended to sort of counteract a deficit-based model. I'm not sure I understand what that is. Can you explain, please? So a deficit-based model is when you focus on the weaknesses and the gaps or negatives of an individual and you potentially try to fix them and you try to basically bridge that gap. And the strengths-based approach is just literally turning that around. So you focus on the positive qualities of the individual and you recognize and celebrate where they are strong, what they enjoy, what they're energized by. And you encourage them to focus on the things that bring them joy, to gravitate towards the things that they're good at, and to invest time in the areas where they have the greatest joy and are likely to be the most engaged, productive and happy. It's based on the concept of positive psychology and it's really about driving us away from trying to improve and spend time doing the things we don't love to actually focusing on the things that we do love. So it sounds like positive psychology led the way to a strengths-based approach. Yep, totally. So strengths are absolutely driven from the concept of positive psychology. So where does emotional intelligence fall in all of this? Is that personality? Is that state, trait? What is that? We have already established that in terms of a continuum, personality is on one end of that continuum as a type or trait approach. In other words, our personality doesn't change rapidly over time. On the other end of the continuum is state. A state is much more dependent on emotions and how we're feeling and can change rapidly daily. And so emotional intelligence or resilience is a state. So it's the other end of the continuum to personality. Personality is stable and enduring in theory. It doesn't change rapidly. It might evolve over time very slowly, whereas our resilience and our emotional intelligence can change rapidly, can change daily, so therefore is state. Strengths I would put in the middle of that seesaw. 
And so they're not really fully trait. They're not fully state. They're a combination of the two. And what that means is that our strengths can evolve over time, depending on the environments that we are in. So if we change our work situation or our family situation, and if we were to get together with a new partner or spend time with someone new, we would start to get excited and involved in new activities, maybe doing new things with that person. And therefore, what we enjoy doing might change and therefore what we get energized by, get excited by might change. So our strengths can gradually evolve and change. What about competencies? I know that in other episodes, we have already talked about the difference between strengths and competencies, but I feel like that question uh, belongs in this episode as well, just to touch base on that. So what's the difference between strengths and competencies? I agree. It's definitely one we should just touch on for a few minutes. And the reason I'm saying that is because I'm talking to a number of clients who are asking whether they should move away from a competency model towards a strengths-based model. And the answer is no, they shouldn't. They're two completely different things. You could use a competency model in a strengths-based way, but you shouldn't replace your competencies with strengths. Competencies are a combination of the knowledge, skills and abilities of an individual in order to do the job. You can very much assess whether someone has got the competence or has not got the competence. So you can assess and test that person against a competency. With a strength, because it's about what they enjoy doing, there should not be any right or wrong answers about what strengths are good and which strengths are bad for a job or for an organisation. And so you would want both. So you would want competencies in order to assess a person's capability to do the role or to fit into an organization. But you would want strengths to understand that once they're in that role, where will they gravitate towards? What will they enjoy doing? What will bring them energy? And how will they show up as an individual? Strengths sound really positive. Sounds like if a company is wanting to foster a more inclusive environment, they would need to assess strengths along with what other models they've got on their roster. Yeah, I think strengths are definitely the way to go because it very much celebrates everybody being unique and having a different combination of what they enjoy, which then really helps each individual show up differently and not in a box like we said, with a, a type-based personality questionnaire. And so depending on your top seven strengths, for example, within our B Talent questionnaire, that combination of strengths will really give us an indication of what you enjoy, Angela, and where you will gravitate and the difference that you will make as a result of that different combination. But actually the ones at the bottom end of your profile as well, your least preferred strengths, will also give us an idea of the things you might actually avoid. So earlier in the episode, we talked about test, retest, reliability. Do we have any data on the predictive validity of personality or strengths assessments? It's so hard to assess the predictive validity of any product, strengths or personality. And the accepted level of predictive validity for questionnaires is 0.3. And so that's 
actually quite a low level, it seems. It sounds like a really low number, but actually that's the accepted level of validity for this type of questionnaire. And so our strengths questionnaire is 0.33. So it's in the acceptable range. It's more than valid. And so in other words, you can predict a proportion of behavior using our strengths questionnaire. You wouldn't expect to be able to predict somebody 100% from a single questionnaire. And we looked at the other products that are on the market. They're much more circumspect about sharing their validity data than us. We're quite open with our validity data. Theirs is either behind paid firewalls or they just don't publish it in their technical manual at all, which is quite surprising. But our strengths questionnaire is 0.33. It's pretty comparable to personality. Sometimes you find that personality has slightly higher predictive validity levels. And I'm putting that down to the fact that because they're trait and more enduring and stable, that their personality doesn't change rapidly over time. Therefore, it's more likely to predict standardized outcomes than strengths are because strengths change. And so if you're you know, looking at predictability over an 18 month period, then actually a personality is going to be more stable and enduring than a strength. Well, Amanda, you started your PhD on the big five. You started your career in personality. You've since transitioned into strengths. What have you learned since doing all of this strengths research over the last, what is it, two decades now? Three. Three decades. <laughs> three decades, I know. Well, to be fair, it's three decades since I started the PhD because it took me such a long time. So I probably learned that I've got such a passion around strengths because when I'm using strengths questionnaires to give feedback or for coaching or for exec assessment, that combination of the strengths for the top seven really helps me understand how someone's going to show up in the areas that they're truly interested in. And the combination of those strengths is so key. And how they answer the questionnaire, if they answer it favorably, that gives me a real signal of their self-concept and how they see themselves. Or if they answer it really critically, it gives me another indication of their level of overall negativity or pessimism. And again, their self-concept, but they might have quite a negative and dark lens and they're quite critical of themselves. And I just think it's a bit more profound than a personality questionnaire. And I think it's the joy that an individual gets from understanding what they love and therefore it gives them permission to spend time doing those things. Whereas personality is a bit like, oh, that's interesting. Strengths almost, there's a call to action on the back of strengths that I don't think you get with personality. I think also because you're such a positive and energetic person yourself, I can see how you would gravitate to an assessment that essentially looks at energizers and positive psychology and all of the sort of positive outcomes of, of that approach. Yeah, I must admit, I love it. I absolutely adore using our products. And when I'm coaching people, I always start with strengths because it just helps me understand what they're about. And it just creates a really positive first conversation. So do you have any final conclusions as we close out this episode, Amanda? I think it's really just building on what we were just talking about, which is the strengths-based approach has such a positive feel. And it was articulated, interestingly, by the personality researcher Savile in 2018. Their research identified that 86% of applicants want the recruitment process to motivate and encourage them to want to work for the organization and they want to come away from a recruitment process feeling positive about the organization, the recruitment process and the brand. So creating a positive candidate experience is key 
And from my experience, using a strengths-based approach is pretty fundamental to achieving this because every conversation I've ever had about strengths has been a positive one and does leave a candidate or a coaching client feeling quite good about themselves rather than the personality approach or performance management approach, which is, of course, for development, which is sometimes focusing on the gaps and what's missing. That's why I love strengths. Yeah, I can see that definitely. I mean, my own experience from strengths assessment, it's you don't feel judged because everything is positive ultimately. Even I know we've talked before about meticulous being right near the bottom of my uh, strengths. It's It doesn't feel like anyone's sort of looking for ways to pick at me about that. So yes, I love strengths too. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you, Amanda, for giving us some great insight into the difference between personality versus strengths assessments. Thank you also to Attila Simoni for his research and for helping us prepare for this podcast. And if our listeners have any comments or questions or suggestions on what we've spoken about today, we would love to hear from you on LinkedIn or even by email if you'd like. And if you'd like any further information about the B Talent Strengths Questionnaire that we discussed in this podcast, please go to btalent.com. Thank you, Angela. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And I hope you have a lovely day. And let's hope the sun shines. 